Good morning, everyone. Good morning. There we go. All right, we're good. Let me tell you about the smartest person that I know, okay? Um, You may know him as genius, incredibly smart person. I know him as Uncle Ray, okay? Let me tell you about my Uncle Ray. My Uncle Ray is a Vietnam vet. He's also someone that has uh, been all around the world, but he's also someone that could literally take the rustiest, trashiest looking old car and turn it into this masterpiece, okay? He can literally do it from the frame up and make something incredible out of it. My Uncle Ray also really loves marbles. I don't know how he got into marbles, but he like legit loves marbles so much that he started like knowing the value of marbles. So he was buying and selling marbles on eBay. And then he thought, you know what? Why don't I just make my marbles? So my Uncle Ray started making his own marbles. And I wish I had one today. I don't have it. I don't know where it is. Uh, but it's really great. It's, it's really important to me, obviously. It's very important to me. <laughs> we moved recently, okay? So there it is. Um, but one day... Oh, one more thing he did. He, when I was a kid, he used to take me tornado hunting. Anyone ever do that as a kid? I, my family's from Iowa. So I remember when I was a kid, I'd go to Iowa, and I could not wait to go there during the summer because there'd be tornadoes. And I love the idea of seeing a tornado. So while some people would be driving away from the tornado, he was looking at the wind, checking the sky, and saying, let's go this way. And we were trying to find them and hunt them down. So if you see the sky is green, like in the movie Twister, that's real. That does happen when tornado comes. But he had so much knowledge about the world around me, I was always blown away. And there was one time in particular that it just stuck with me from like when I was, I think I was 19 years old. We were out for a walk and it was about to be, it was like late, late uh, fall, uh, soon to be winter, you know, that transition when it gets really cold. And I remember seeing this lake that was out there. And being from California, I really wanted to walk on a frozen lake. I don't know why. I just thought that's the greatest thing that someone could do. So I remember walking over to the lake and seeing that it was frozen from my view. And I walked out there and I started to step out and my uncle stopped me and he said, ho there Brooks, ho there. He said, how do you know the lake is frozen? I said, well, that's a good question. How do I know the lake is frozen? Well, I said, well, it looks frozen I'm on the surface. It looks pretty solid. It's really cold. And he said, just, just hold on a second. And he reached down and he grabbed a rock in his hand. Didn't say anything, just went like this. And he threw it up in the air. It went about 10 feet up in the air, hit the ice and went straight through the ice. And he turned to me and he just said, I don't think you should walk out there. And I was like, you saved my life. You know, I don't know if I really, I would have, I don't know, the lake was probably this deep. I don't know, probably. But, um, I remember that story because it was, it was like the combination of this lifetime of knowledge being able to be applied in a very particular situation. See, the more that I hung out with my Uncle Ray, the more that I learned from him and the more that I listened to him, the more I started gaining some of that insight and knowledge. And I just loved being around him for that reason. And so sometimes in life, we have problems that are bigger than whether or not a lake can be stepped through or not. Sometimes we have stuff that comes into our lives where we just, we just don't know what to do with it. Maybe it's a a medical diagnosis or some type of a a challenge that was given to you where as soon as you get it, your anxiety goes whoop, goes real high. You can feel it in your throat. Well, what do we do in those types of circumstances? Well, some of us, our first thought is, man, I need to go and find that smart person. I'm going to go to that person I look to and I trust and they'll tell me what to do or where to go. But what do you do when the problem is bigger than their pay grade, what they're able to do for you? What do you do when someone, you, you start opening up your heart to someone and all you really need is for someone to listen, but all they're doing is telling you what they think you should do? Well, where are we supposed to go? 
See, we've been studying for the last several weeks the character and the nature of God. We're calling it flash theology. We've been looking at different attributes of God. We talked about God being loving so that everything he does, he does through love in our life. And we talked about God being the protector. Pastor Marcus was talking about, I love that, when he was talking about how, how God is always on watch in our lives. That he is not only all-powerful, that he can do as he pleases, but he's guarding us. He's looking out for our best interests. Well, today, we want to talk about another reason why we can trust God with all of that stuff in our lives. We're going to actually be looking at the life of a man who experienced a tremendous amount of pain. Like, I would imagine probably the most pain maybe a single human has ever felt in his life, he went through. And he learned something really important about God that helped him to trust God even more in his life. So if you can, we're going to be looking at why should we trust God? And we're going to be jumping into Job chapters 38 to start with. So let's go there. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Job. It's in the middle of your Bible. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened between uh, Job chapter 1 to Job chapter 38. So while you're turning there, uh, just hear me out while you're, while you're moving here. So Job was a man who looked at life, I would say, as a glass half full kind of a guy. He had tremendous amount of, of wealth. He had an incredible family. He was uh, very ingenuitive. He was someone that really had so much favor in his life. He was a guy that had hope beyond hope beyond hope for, for his life and his future. And then one day it all changed for him. One day he went from having this incredible amount of wealth to all of a sudden some crazy freak accidents happened and, and his livestock was being killed and he, he just lost all of his wealth. And then he also found out that his children that he loved so much that his life was, was centered on and spending time with, his children were killed as well in, in some crazy circumstances. And then him physically, he started to get himself so physically sick and ill that he was, he was covered in, in, in boils and rashes. And his life went from being this glamorous, like, I wish I could have that life, to like, I don't wish that life on anybody. And he, while he was trying to figure this all out, he had friends in his life that were coming to him and saying, Job, you must have done something. God must be paying you back for some bad stuff that you did. Kind of like people believe about karma, right? Oh, someone had something bad happen. It must be because you've done something to deserve this in a past life. Well, there was this prevailing thought of the day that you must earn the good fortune and you must also earn the negative in your life. And so Job, you screwed up. But Job, what we know is that Job actually was a man of integrity. He was a man that honored God with his life. So it, that wasn't true. So throughout the book of Job, while Job was getting this bad advice and experiencing all this grief and trauma, just so sad, in the midst of all that, Job starts to say, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? Some of us may have had those kinds of same questions. What are you doing, God? Matter of fact, in Job chapter 31, Job says, I'll just read it to you. Job 31, he says, uh, if only someone would listen to me, look, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, oh, God, you answer me. You tell, you, you tell me why this is going on. 
So we're catching all the way up to chapter 38 when we get, to, we get a chance to see a one-on-one -on -one conversation between God and Job. God finally shows up to Job in a way that Job is ready to listen. And in Job chapter 38, we pick up on what God has to say to him. So let's read together. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. You wanted to challenge me? Okay, I got a question for you. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much, Job. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out uh, the surveying line? Who supports its foundation, or what supports its foundation? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries and its as it burst forth from the womb? And as I clothed it from the clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. So why should I trust God in my life? Well, the first thing that God brings up in Job's life is that God is eternally wise. That's the first thing. Why should I trust God? Because God is eternally wise. See, sometimes when circumstances come into our lives that we don't understand, and we feel like we're being aggrieved, and that we're being mistreated, and we don't know why things are lining up the way that we are, they are in our life, we can easily get to a place of doubt. We begin to doubt not only that God is good and that God is loving and that God is protector, but specifically, we begin to doubt whether or not God knows what he's really doing in our lives. See, the Bible is filled with tons of examples of people who have struggled and asked those very specific questions. I don't know if anybody in this room is right there this morning. I think God has a word for you today to hear this. So God's response to Job is kind of intriguing. Let's look at verse 2. God says, who is this that questions my wisdom with ignorant words? So notice that God doesn't directly answer Job's question. Why, you know, God, answer me. Why is all this happening to me? Instead, God asks Job, why are you questioning my wisdom in your life? So each week we do this thing called um, flash facts where we give you a fact about God and his character. And so this week um, we wanted to share with you this flash fact called uh, using the word omnisapient. Omni meaning all, sapient meaning wise. That our God is all wise. So let's talk about God's wisdom for a little bit, all right? God never became wise, God has always eternally been wise. God never learned to orchestrate and to move the world and, and the parts of the earth together. God has known before time began in his great wisdom and knowledge how to do what he has done. The cool thing about God's wisdom is it's, there's a lot of cool things, but for me, is that God's wisdom is called, uh, this is a, uh, a communicable attribute of God. Okay, communicable is a fancy word meaning an attribute that we share with God. So because God is wise, I as a human can also be wise. We know in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man and woman in, in his image and in his likeness. What does that mean? That we are like God in certain ways. 
So like God is love and can be loving, I can also love as a human. That's why when we think about in the world, there's a lot of wise people, there's a lot of wise writing. Well, I would argue that's because men and women have been made in God's image. We've been made to be like God in those ways. So I want to show you a picture really quick here. All right. So if you can combine, okay, let me just put it to you this way. Let's put God's wisdom in perspective. If you were to combine all of the great writing uh, from ancient writers, you're talking about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, all the way up to, you know, and Solomon, all the way up to some of our greatest thinkers, Thomas Aquinas, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, Anselm, um, all of them, even modern day thinkers, all of that wisdom combined is literally a drop compared to the ocean of God's wisdom. Put that into perspective here. So the Bible is actually proclaiming throughout Scripture that God is wise. Let's look at, I'm just going to show you a couple passages. Romans 16, 27. At the end of the book of Romans, when Paul finishes this incredible thing, this incredible argument, he looks and traces the wisdom of God in redemption from the beginning of the book to the end. He says this about God. He says, this is the end prayer, to the, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. And then Psalm 147 says, our Lord is great and has awesome power. There is no limit to his wisdom. Job actually says in Job chapter 12, when he's referencing God's wisdom, Job says of God, with God, with him are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. And then Daniel, when, when Daniel was uh, taken captive into Babylon and he's, he's uh, in the courts of the king, the king has this crazy dream in Daniel chapter 2 and, and Daniel's actually actually given the explanation of the dream. And Daniel is so blown away that God is able to somehow orchestrate bringing this Jewish guy into Babylon to be able to translate the dream of a Babylonian king for the benefit of, of his kingdom. He says this about God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and, ra and raises others up. Check this out. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So let's, let's take another step back. I want to unpack what do we mean by the word wisdom. So Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, he wrote this. God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. So God's wisdom can be seen in his timing, in his plans, in his purposes, in his redemptive work. But I, I want to also just divide a, show a distinction between knowledge and wisdom here. Okay, so many times in the um, wisdom literature, knowledge and wisdom are seen as uh, very similar to the same. They're kind of um, one for the other. But there's a distinction too I want to highlight. So knowledge is knowing and understanding the facts of the world. So we can say that God has all knowledge, which... I'm pumped because in about six weeks, we're going to be talking more about that. So just hold that thought for a moment. Wisdom then is being able to take all of that knowledge that's available in the world and in the universe and all that can be known and be able to apply it and to make the best decisions with it. So let's talk about a few examples of uh, knowledge versus wisdom, okay? So knowledge says this. 
When you're walking in your house at night and you feel like you just hit a spider web and you, fall, you feel something crawling up your arm, okay? Knowledge says that's a spider and you flick it off your arm, okay? Wisdom says I better turn on the light because my wife is going to kill me that I just flicked it off instead of killing it, okay? <laughs> Knowledge is, hey, when I, get, uh, when I get hungry, I get cranky. Wisdom says I should carry a snack, okay? <laughs> right? Knowledge says that when I stay up late by myself, I'm tempted to do something I shouldn't do. Wisdom says I should go to bed with my wife instead. Knowledge says that there's an alien pod that's opening up in front of me. Wisdom says I shouldn't put my face in front of it. Okay? <laughs> Have you noticed in science fiction films, there's a lot of knowledge, there's very little wisdom. Okay? <laughs> Happens all the time. It's crazy. So why should I trust God? Well, God has both infinite knowledge and eternal wisdom. God never learns on the job with your life. God always knows the best things to do and to be in your life. And we can trust that he's working them out in a way that only the eternally wise God can do. So then God does something really cool. God then takes Job on a journey through his creation. He wants Job to see that his wisdom is beautifully complex in addition to being eternal. Let's look at verse 4 and 5 together. God says this to Job. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, Who's determined its dimensions and stretched out its surveying line? So right away, God is trying to get Job to do a couple things. Number one, God wants Job to be able to step back and say, wow, God, you have a much bigger perspective than I do. Your view of the world is much grander than mine will ever be. God wants Job to realize that, hey, Job, you are a creature of time. I'm outside of time. I see the past and the present and the future at the exact same time. All you can see is the present. You can dwell on the past, which you can't change. And we can spend so much time worrying about the future that we can even miss the present. Isn't that wild? But God is trying to help Job to see that even though we are confined to this time and this perspective, God is not. God wanted Job to realize that there was something so much more incredible going on that he couldn't see. See, the wild thing is this. The more we understand and become discerning of the wisdom of God in our life, the more that we begin to see the fingerprints of God's wisdom throughout our world. So like a couple weeks ago, my buddy Marcus asked me to preach for him. Okay, he actually asked me to preach about, I think, what, two, three months in advance? So his plan was to be here during the service and I'd be preaching the message. And the wild thing is, during, I think, the second service, all of a sudden, Marcus got up, and he left the service. And I was like, uh-oh, what did I say, you know? Um, and I found out after the message that actually Marcus got a phone call from, um, from someone that he knows who was in a really bad accident. And they were in a really bad accident. They had never been in one before. They didn't know what to do. The only one they knew to call was Marcus. So when Marcus got the call, he knew something was wrong, so he took it, and he was able to help them. Check this out. Marcus didn't know that three months ago, when he asked me to prepare for that message, that someone he knew was going to be an accident and would need Marcus's help. But God knew. That's the wisdom of God. We may be in those moments. Sometimes we become so overwhelmed by the moments that we face in our life. 
But God is outside of those moments and God is working towards our benefit in our life all the time. So when I was, um, well, when I was like 16, 17 years old, I was in a Christian family, in a Christian home. Uh, I was going to a Christian school. Can you get the, you get it? Christian, 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 right? And all of a sudden, I started to have this seed of doubt in my heart. All of a sudden, I started wondering, is this real? Is God real? Is the Bible real? How do I know that, that Islam is not the world religion that I should be following? How do I know it's not Buddhism or, or, or Shintoism or Taoism or even atheism? How do I know this is just all just a made up? What if I'm just in an alien experiment? How do I know? And the more I was thinking about it, the greater my, my heaviness and my, my anxiety and depression started to grow. And the thing is, like I said, I was surrounded by Christian, 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 that who could I talk to about this? People would think I've, I'm, I'm like, I've left the faith and I don't even know if, I mean, I don't, I'm still processing where I was at in my faith journey at that point. But the wild thing is, if someone said to me, Brooks, I encourage you to read Job chapter 38 and 39. And so I said, sure, I'll read it. And as I was reading Job 38 and 39, something changed in my heart. It's like the truth of God began to just sink deep into my life because I began to reflect on what Job is about to get, what God is about to give him. I began to reflect on the incredible work of God in creation. The more that I read, the more I was like, wow, how is that even possible that this is happening? How is it that God is able to do all these things? You see, God wanted Job to know what I needed to know. It's that like God is very wise and he shows his wisdom throughout creation. See, Christians for centuries have been talking about the, how incredible God's creation is and how that points to the proof of the existence of God. Thomas Aquinas was a, a, a theologian writing about 12, he was, lived from 1225 to like 1275. He wrote in this book called the Summa Theologica. And in this book, he talked about these five, one of the things he talked about were the, the five ways that we can prove that God exists through creation. And one of the ways, one of the arguments that he used, uh, we now know as the teleological argument of the existence of God. Telos meaning the end or purpose, um, ology meaning the study of that. And so as they were looking at it and thinking through it, they were saying, hey, the world is so finely tuned. It is so incredibly organized. It is, it is so designed with order and purpose to preserve life. It is not inhabitable. Thank you. It is designed for God's creation. So, if that's the case, then it must point to a designer. So, uh, there's a guy named William Paley. He came up with this thing, and I'll just share it with you. He it's called like the fine-tune argument. It's basically an explanation of the teleological argument. So, just imagine, if you have a watch, who has a watch in the room? Yeah, raise your hand. Okay, when everyone has a watch in the room, to look at their watch on their wrist, okay, while I'm talking to you about this. So, imagine you're walking on the beach, and you found your watch on the beach, You've never seen your watch before. You've never seen a watch like it before. You look at it and you would think, wow, look at all of the fine-tuned elements of this watch. You know, when Paley wrote this argument, he was looking at a watch like this. And you think about all the wheels and gears and how it has to be aligned perfectly in order to keep track of time. Like it's literally designed on purpose to keep track of time. 
And he looked at all this and, he, and you look at your watch and you think, wow, there's no way this could have just happened by accident. Nobody looks at your watch and says, wow, give it a few million years and it'll become an amazing, even better watch. If I bury it in the sand, it's going to become a, an Apple watch in a few months. Incredible, <laughs> right? No, you look at it and say, wow, that looks like it was designed on purpose for a purpose. And there must be a designer who made it. Well, the Bible is filled with, ex with examples of how fine-tuned our world is. So if you do have your Bible, I do just want you to look at a couple passages in Job chapter 38. I'm not going to show them on screen. I'm just going to reference them. In Job chapter 38, 19 through 21, Job, or God tells Job about the sun. He starts describing the sun. Here's what's wild about the sun. The sun is 93 million miles away. If we were closer to the sun, our world would burn up. We would not be able to exist on this planet. If we are farther away from the sun, then we would freeze. We wouldn't be able to exist on this planet. But we are the right distance from the sun that it's able to give us heat and give us seasons, but it doesn't, it doesn't kill us, which is wild, right? Not even talking about the magnosphere around the earth that protects us from all the radiation from the sun. That's a whole other thing, but that's really cool. How about the moon? The moon is 240,000 miles away. Did you know that the moon is responsible for keeping the sea from dry land? That it has a gravitational pull that keeps the ocean from overcoming and just taking over the whole planet? Did you know that? That depending upon the distance of the moon, I mean, I, there was that really cheesy movie, wasn't there, about the moon? And I feel like the rock was in it. Um, and the moon was coming too close to the earth. I don't know. Anyways, you can see that. and you, you, You'll know what I'm talking about. But also, God talks about the sea itself, about the depths of the sea and the bounds of the sea in Job chapter 38, 8 through 11, which I would encourage everyone to read 38 and 39 later today when you get home. But he also talks about the snowflakes and the lightning and the storms and the rain in Job 38, 22 through 28. I, I found this fascinating. Did you know that there's not a single snowflake that is identical? Every single snowflake is different. That's wild to me. Depending upon how it falls through the sky and the wind that takes it, all of them are shaped so uniquely and so beautifully. Wow. It blows my mind. He talks about the wisdom of man in 36, and then he talks about, this is, this is really cool, that animals have instincts that he's placed in them. And then in, in verse 41, I'm going to read it in verse 41, it says this, God, this is him, he's saying of myself, I'm he who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger. Have you ever thought about the fact that it's God who feeds the ravens? Yeah, this reminds me of something Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, our master designer, he's still very aware of every concern, every prayer, every sadness in our heart, every pain in our life, every need in our life. He is very aware of all of that. In Matthew 26, Jesus says this, excuse me, Matthew 6, 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And then check this out. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Let that sink in this morning. In the midst of all the incredible universe that we were just talking about, in the midst of how it points to this, this omni, uh, all wise God and all powerful God who does all these things, and, and when, you, when you see the incredible stars in the universe and it's just blowing you away, that God is very aware of every single need in your life. And he cares about helping you in every one of those moments. But he does it with perfect wisdom. That he does, not, he does not waste anything in our lives. 
So when we begin to see this and we see the fingerprints and we begin to understand all that God is doing in our lives, well then God does something really cool. God's wisdom begins to compel me to trust him. Something really amazing happens when we begin to trust and we see what God does. Let's go to Job chapter 42 together. Turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 42. So after God tells Job all this incredible stuff that he does, Job has a really interesting uh, response. Look at chapter 42 verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You will, oh, sorry, I jumped to Psalm. That's not it. Okay. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, God. I was the one talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So what is he saying? Well, our buddy Job is a changed man, okay? The circumstances in his life had not changed at this point, but his heart had changed. His perspective had changed. He was someone that started with why God and you explain yourself to me, God. And he changed to a man who said, who am I to presume that I know more than you, God? Who am I? See, Job was humbled when he, when he was able to see God for who he is. When God began to reveal all that he does in this world, it brought Job to a place of brokenness and humility and saying, God, you do you, and I'll trust you in that. See, Job's resolution was not from this intricate explanation of everything that was going on behind the scenes, because there was a lot going on behind the scenes, which you can look at in Job chapter 1, but it became from an encounter with God. He was changed from a, I had heard, to I had seen, and, and now I know who you are, God. See, sometimes those moments that we have the hardest time with, the times when we feel the most amount of pain and suffering, God can use those times to draw us into a closer relationship with him in ways that, those, in ways that if you had not gone through them, you wouldn't have experienced. That is the wisdom of God. That is something that God can take all the bad decisions of another person in your life and somehow bring something good out of it in your life. We were just talking about baptisms and how incredible they are. And we got a chance to witness some really cool people get baptized. The rad thing is when I think about this is that God is in the business of making us, not just the world, but us, new creations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says, In Christ we are a new creation. That he takes the old and it passes away. And he brings out new things in our life that only he can do. So I would encourage us this morning as we're just sitting here thinking and processing about the wisdom of God to open up uh, your heart to the, to the mindset, the belief that God is sovereign, that God is, is all-knowing, that God is orchestrating your life and that he's bringing about good in your life. 
And we may not be able to always understand it or, or see it. And we may not even see it until we see him face to face. But we have to believe and trust that God is working. When I was um, like 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, I moved to this very small town in England. It was on the north of England. It was in the farms. So I used to love playing soccer. So there would literally be sheep on the field sometimes when we were playing soccer. It was that remote in England. And I remember as I was there, I just started to wrestle with, with kind of with God's, I would say with God's will in my life. And the more I was questioning it, the more I didn't understand it, the heavier my heart felt. And I just felt overwhelmed. And it's kind of like as the clouds in England are so cloudy and just dreary most of the time, I felt like that was a great reflection of my heart. And for nine months, I was wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with God. And one night, I'll, I'll never forget it. One night, I was walking out uh, by myself. I was so sick of fighting. I was so sick of my, my struggle inside. I remember walking out and thinking, just like looking up at the sky and like legitimately, I was shouting at God. Has anyone ever been there before? Anyone ever been there? I was legit shouting at God. I'm glad nobody was around. It was, just an, it was a crazy moment. I was shouting at God. Why did you make me like this? Why am I struggling so much? Why can't I just be free to be me? Why am I struggling with this anxiety? And I, I just, I, I don't know why you're leading my life the way that you are. And as I looked up at the scars and I just was in this moment, I just felt like the Lord just really just gently tapped on my, my heart and just said, Brooks, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me. You see, I wanted everything to be figured out. I wanted all my questions to be answered. I wanted to know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And all God wanted me to do in that moment was just say, God, how about one more minute of trust? How about one more minute of just leaning in saying, I know you're good. I know you're, you're powerful and you're wise. And I'm going to trust you. And so I lit, this, it's going to get crazier, okay? I literally, um, I was going to tell a joke right there. Anyways, I guess, keep it serious, okay? So I literally got down on my hands and knees, face on the ground, and I just said, God, I give up. I give up. I put my life in your hands. I trust you. I trust you. And as I got up from the ground, wet and dirty and just wondering what just happened, I felt like my heart was free. I feel like my heart was free to trust that I didn't have to have all the answers. I didn't have to know what was going to happen tomorrow or in six months or nine months or a year. I just needed to believe that God was on the throne and that he was wisely running the universe, including my life. And when I accepted that truth, God helped me to feel a sense of peace in my heart. So there's times I still want to take up my life and try to control it and try to make it work on my own, there's still times I do that and God just constantly brings me back. Don't forget that moment when you just released it all to me. So we're going to close with just a thought here. I want, us to, I want us to read a passage. In James chapter 1, I want to read something to you. So the cool thing about this, the last thing I want to share with you today, is that God not only has incredible wisdom, but God wants to give us his wisdom. The Bible tells us here in James chapter 1 that if we lack wisdom in our life, if we don't know what to do, if we find ourselves struggling in certain situations, God says, ask of me and I will give it to you. Not just superficially or like just a little bit, but God wants to give his wisdom to us generously. 
What does God's wisdom look like? And I, well, it looks like discernment in moments when we really need to know what's going on behind the scenes. What does God's wisdom look like in our life? God's wisdom looks like us seeing things from God's perspective when all we can see is our momentary issue at hand. Maybe it's even, God, I need wisdom to pick the best course forward. I don't know which way to go. I don't know how to do this. I need you to help me to know how to do this. And maybe it's just inviting God into those moments where you are literally feeling like, I I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to handle this. God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. So it could be just a simple prayer when when we're in those moments. God, give me your wisdom in this moment. Help me to know how to help this person. Help me to know how to see the way you see it. It can also be just times where we're in our groups together, our life groups, just saying, hey, you guys, please pray for me. I need wisdom in my life. So as we kind of just close, I just want to encourage you and just ask you this question. Where, just take a few moments just in your own heart answering this question. Where do I need God's wisdom in my life? Do I need it in my family? Do I need it in raising my kids? Do I need it in my job? Is there something that is just driving you up the wall you can't figure it out? It's causing you tons of anxiety. I would say let's, let's give that to the Lord this morning. Ask God to give you the wisdom that you need. And I'm going to go in and let's just take a few moments just in our own lives, in our own hearts, and just pray for a moment. Let's pray together. Just lift up to the Lord whatever you need wisdom for in your hearts. Just lift it up to God. God, you hear the prayers. You hear the prayers in this room, Lord. Calling out, asking for your wisdom, Lord. You know all the areas that we just don't see it. We don't know what you're doing, God. We don't know how to take steps forward. We don't know which way to go. We need your wisdom, Father. When we reflect of all of the wisdom that you use to bring us to places of walking with you and to giving us the jobs that we have, God, to giving us the children that we have, to giving us the lives that we have, Lord. You do all things well, God. Help us, Lord, in the parts of our faith where we don't see it yet, God. Help us to know that we can trust you because you are a wise God and that you know exactly what you're doing in our lives, God. So help us to be wise people, Lord, making wise decisions to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.